Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And like always, we have the freshest of topics and we have the freshest of guests for you. The guests for this episode are Joyce Marie Fitzpatrick and Brian Shackelford, the co-producers and co-directors of the documentary, The Color of Medicine, the story of the Homer G. Phillips Hospital, which is the first all-black hospital located in St. Louis that also medically trained the first black physicians and nurses in the United States. Using this documentary as a framework, this discussion with uh, Joyce and Brian puts into the account the world that we're living in right now during this COVID pandemic and also the recent Black Lives Matter protest. Many of the stories of the Homer G. Phillips Hospital really parallel things still happening today with black people in America. This talk with Joyce and Brian is an excellent example of the type of discussions that really need to happen between white and black people uh, these days in the wake of, you know, all these protests and a lot of the things that um, we're hoping that white people will learn about the experience of black people in America. Joyce and Brian not only share things from the history of the hospital, but their own experiences in this episode. So, you know, this is definitely like something you should really pay attention to. <laughs> like, and... And try to have these discussions with other people if, if you're a white person who's trying to understand what's going on more. Or you understand, you're, you're understanding more and really want to, you know, check some family members or friends or whatever. Um, there's a lot of good, you know, I've said this before, there's a lot of good, good resources. I would just Google it, you know, basically. Do the work. But uh, before I get into this discussion with uh, Joyce and Brian, there's a few things I want to share, both good and bad. Uh, I took a little time off the past couple of weeks because a lot of the things that I've been consuming online has been weighing heavily on me, and I just needed to chill. You know, I needed to find some fun things these days, and, you know, I did. Usually when I'm, like, down like that, there's a few things that I do. Watch Japanese wrestling. Uh, binge on uh, Jesus Amaro, whether they're podcast or video clips online from any of their shows. Um, 
lately I've been really into just going back and watching the videos and the podcasts for uh, the Shaggy and the Creep. Uh, that's Shaggy Two Dope from the Insane Clown Posse. Like all of that stuff is so cool to uh, just. You can go back anytime, you know. But our, the thing I really dug deep into recently, this past couple of weeks, is K-pop. Man, I love K-pop so much. My favorite K-pop group is Blackpink, and they just dropped a new single, and it's called "How You Like That," and it is a banger. Yes. Oh. So good. Man, and I guess he got another pre-single coming out later on and a full album later this year. Oh my goodness, yo. Man, and I checked out some uh, some clips from this uh, DVD that they put out uh, with um, the, their, their Tokyo Dome shows from uh, late last year and I think beginning of this year. Man, yo, they had like an all-black band backing them and they were cooking, yo, man. I was like, oh, man. Woo. Man, like, yo. <laughs> but yeah, that put me in a really good mood. It always does. K-pop. I love K-pop. You know, Blackpink. Um, you know, a group that I, you know, that isn't together anymore. But, you know, I went back and checked out their their work. And their, um, you know, solo stuff was, you know, Big Bang. <sighs> yo. Another great group, man. There's a... Uh, there's a group now called Everglow. They dropped a um, like a little mini album earlier to, um, earlier this year. And the song uh, "Dum Dum Dum." Oh man, yeah, that's a banger too, man. That's one of the dopest uh, like dopest K-pop songs of you know 2020 thus far. But yo, I'm excited that you know my ladies from Blackpink are back. They came out with another banger, like always. Go yo go go listen to that. How you like that? The video was slamming. Yo, I'm ready. Yo, I'm happy. Blackpink. Um, a little sad news. A friend of mine, a friend of the Detroit music community, uh, DJ and promoter, you know, his real name is Jonathan Davis, but he goes by DJ Calico. He passed away this past week. He, yo, he, he's like the nicest, sweetest person. Like, you'll ever met, yo, and, like, I used to just, he, yo, he was, like, the ambassador for Detroit when it comes to, like, dubstep, like, the real dubstep, like, the stuff from the UK dubstep, like, the real OG dubstep, you know, dubstep and bass music, drum and bass, he used to, man, he always put on, like, for years, he used to, you know, he put on weekly events, bigger, bigger events, one-off events, he brought so many, like, bass music, electronic music, dubstep artists that you would never see in Detroit. You know, he would, you know, bring them cats. A lot of times, man, he had to dig deep in his own pockets to, you know, f to make that stuff happen. But he made things happen. You know, he gave opportunities to so many people, man. And it's a huge loss, you know, for our community. Like, so, man, yo, it, it, like, it really hurts. It, but, you know... I'm not going to be sad, you know, I'm going to celebrate the life of Calico because, you know, he, you know, he really touched all of, you know, all of us, man. And me and him were, you know, we always talked about doing something together, DJing together, but it just, not, you'd be like, yo, we'll figure, we'll figure it out later, you know, and it just never happened, man. And, and things just got, you know, with the whole COVID thing, 
or DJing stuff just got put on halt, you know, people are just doing, uh, you know, live streams and just, you know, recording mixes and like me and him never got to do something together, but yo, okay. The top, you know, the top two, I didn't, yo, I wasn't able to go to a lot or a majority of his, uh, of his parties that he, you know, put on, but yo, the two, the two top favorites were, uh, Africa high tech, which is, um, Steve Spacek and Mark Pritchard. That was at the works. Man, they put on a killer show. Man, I had so much fun at that. You know, it was like, it was so good to see them, see them cats. And then another time was he had, yo, he had like two of the OGs, man, from like the UK, like dubstep producer DJs, you know, cats who like really paved the way for that stuff, you know, um, you know, N-Type and Hatcher. And had you know that was another joint at the works, and yo I had so much yo I remember that night because like yeah I I went there with this girl I was seeing at the time, and we got mad drunk even before there got mad drunk while we we're there, we were dancing in front of the speakers making out in front of the speakers, it was just a blast. She wanted to go out to the car and do more stuff, and I was like no nah, man I'm hearing all these cl- classic records man classic uk dubstep records like from the ogs spin on them and this i am not gonna see this man i had to like kept on saying no we're not gonna go like fool around in my car man i want to you know this is like you know I, fi- I finally like you know crumbled you know over the pressure and we went out and like fooled around in my car but it was i still had a fucking blast you know it was just like yeah, I was we were wilding out, but I had a blast because you know just heard all the OG stuff, man. All the OG dubstep records, man, from like the from the two thousands, man. Like, oh, there, yo, that was killing it. So, yo, man, just a thanks to you know Calico for making stuff like that happen. He was, yo, he was, he was a pillar of like the music community. Like he he really in a time when there's like so many of these. A lot of posers, a lot of fake front fronting DJs and producers in the electronic music community. These cats who get paid a ton of money and who are you know have other people ghost producing, and they they wilding out, being disrespectful to other uh, artists, you know, being disrespectful to women, you know, bad things coming out, you know, you know, cats like you know Calico, hundred percent, they're real deal people, man. Yo, he was man. It, yo, I'm getting yeah. I'm I'm going to like celebrate his life, you know. It, yo, I'm sad, you know. And what was so great is that, like the 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 music community in Detroit, they you know like my homie Aaron, you know Ronan Selector, you know he put up a, a GoFundMe for five thousand to try to raise five thousand dollars for his funeral, and people you know people did double that in a day. Like 10,000, doubled it. I don't know what it's at now, but, yo, people came out and really supported, you know, and and made sure we can, you know, send off Calico in the right way. So much love to to everybody who who uh, donated to that uh, GoFundMe for uh, Calico's, you know, a funeral. But, um, so, yo, he touched, he touched us, you know, greatly. He was, he, yo, he helped out everybody. He made opportunities for everybody. He like, and plus he was a funny dude. And man, me and him geeked out about you know dubstep and 
and you know bass music but also like heavy he was a heavy metalhead yo he's a metalhead totally and and talk about wrestling stuff man like yo he was just a cool guy man and yo man i'm gonna miss him dog because he was like he was he's like he's my type of dude man he was like we were cut from the same cloth man he was he was a, he was a cool cat you know we'll always remind remember you uh calico man we love you and you'll always be in our you know hearts every time we you know Every time I hear some old dubstep, you know, I think of you. Another thing I want to talk about before uh, we get into this interview is this film that I just checked out. It's called Slay the Dragon, and it's, it's about all the, the depths that, that our politicians will go into, you know, gerrymandering in order to, you know, favor an election to one political party side. And it centers on the work of this Michigan activist, uh, Katie Fahey, and her organization, uh, Voters Not Politicians. It shows how gerrymandering, the, you know, the practice of redrawing electoral maps to serve a single party, poses such a great threat to uh, democracy. It's, and, you know, I thought I knew some stuff about it. But when you really see how it, you know, things are broken down in this documentary, and it doesn't just focus on the Michigan stuff, you know, it focuses on everywhere. You know, she took this, uh, she took this campaign, like everywhere, and she made some headway. It like, she opened up a lot of people's eyes. People understood how, like, you know, how this takes away the vote. It's a very, it's, it's a, it's, it's eye opening. You, you, you think, you know, you hear about gerrymandering and, be, and, but you might not know to the depths that people have, you know, gone to, uh, to really, you know, use this practice to get their way, you know, especially, you know, and, and in the last case, it was like, Republicans and it's like yo this is crazy and next year 2021 will be a redistrict you know redistricting year you know after the census you know a lot of it's based off the census that stuff that you get in the mail and you probably didn't do yo you need to do the census because that really goes into a lot of the re you know them redrawing these electoral maps so and there's there's already states that have you know put into laws in place where they you know people can't do this practice the way that they've been doing so go check out slay the dragon you can go to the website which is slaythedragonfilm.com and there'll be more information about you know about the movie about you know with trailers there's a lot of information about what you can do for the cause uh, there's they even have like social media stuff that you can use to post on uh, any of your on any of your platforms. Um, it's available, you know, it's been available on DVD, but then it's all it's on all the the digital platforms now: Apple TV, Google Play, Prime Video, Fandango now, and much more. It just came out, um, you know, today while I'm, you know July seventh as I'm recording this. So I definitely you know think you should check this out because it'll be be big eye opener about what's going on in these elections and like 
right now in the time when when people are trying to get you know the orange guy out of office it's you'll see that every election is important even the midterms you know the stuff for the house and the senate all that stuff matters in regards to how you know how we get our presidents and how how everything works you know so you'll see you'll see if you watch this documentary you will see like the depth this goes and how it affects everything and one more thing uh my renaissance soul podcast my detroit music podcast uh i said i was gonna you know drop it on the 22nd of june but like i mentioned earlier you know got stressed out Things were uh, us burnt out, so hopefully that uh, the first episode back of the Renaissance Soul podcast will be coming next Monday. All right, now after a word from our sponsor, let's get into this discussion with Joyce Marie Fitzpatrick and Brian Shackelford, the producers and directors of the documentary "The Color of Medicine: The Story of the Homer G. Phillips Hospital." <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Fresh of the Word podcast. And like always, we have the freshest of topics we talk about, along with the freshest of guests. And the topic for this episode is going to be the documentary, The Color of Medicine, the story of the Homer G. Phillips Hospital. It uh, tells the astonishing history of the first all-black hospital in St. Louis, but also recognizes and celebrates the achievements of the brave healthcare workers who are among the first black physicians and nurses to be medically trained in the United States. It, it's also a groundbreaking documentary that sheds light on the disparity between the medical treatment that the African-American community receives opposed to others. And with me... I have the the directors of this uh, documentary, Joyce Marie Fitzpatrick and Brian Shackelford. How you doing today? How you doing, my man? Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. Great, Thank great. You Thank you. Like to start things off, like I received this screener a couple months ago, mm-hmm. before all the major protests have been going on, you know, in in America, mm-hmm. hell around the world. Um, mm-hmm. in light of the, the killing of uh, George Floyd. Mm-hmm. But I didn't watch it. I was being lazy, and I didn't watch it until after the protests happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of mm-hmm. glad I did because this documentary um, took a whole new shape after seeing what's going on right now. Kind of when you look back to like the journey of making this, uh, of this do- documentary, like why did you do it in the first place? And what does it look like in your minds now after these current protests? Mm. You want to go you first? Go yeah, you can go ahead, Joyce. Oh, okay. Well, first off, thank you so much, Kelly, for having us on your show. We mm-hmm. really appreciate it. And we're so glad that you got an opportunity to watch the documentary yeah. after all of these issues have risen, because right. I do believe it resonates differently because yeah. of that. Um, it still is significant um, before the the uh, protests began, but even more significant now that the protests have begun. Right. Homer G. Phillips Hospital was established in 1937 in the city of St. Louis, Missouri, in North M- Missouri. And um, when we 
did this documentary, which took a very long time to do, um, it held a significant uh, place in our hearts because the person who brought the story to us was mm -hmm. one of the physicians who had, had trained at that hospital. And his father was one of the first graduates of that hospital in 1937. He was part of the very first graduating class. It, it's wow. so significant. It's like someone graduating from Harvard or Princeton, the very first class. Right. I mean, it, it held such a significance. And, you know, being able to do that documentary for us, you mm -hmm. know, at that time, we knew it was significant. And because it took took the years that it took just to bring it to the masses, only because it had such a personal connection with the people of St. Louis and around the world that mm -hmm. people wanted to see it. So we just kept having private screenings for almost a year or two. And then finally, because we were exhausted, uh, not in a negative way, but in a positive way that we wanted more to share it more with the world. So that is when we decided, let's go ahead and make it a little bit more available or rather a lot more available to the public. And, mm -hmm. and, and that journey is, is what got it to where it is now. But no one in their right, no one would have ever predicted where we are at <laughs> at this point in history. Right. And again, what it proves is is that history continues to repeat itself. Oh my goodness, um, yes. And, yeah. and, and the fact that this hospital, when the time that it was established, um, mm. focused on African-Americans, the reason why was because of exactly where we are today is of the disparity, disparities, oh, I'm sorry, the disparities in healthcare for minorities, period. And mm. that also goes for other ethnicities as well, not just African-Americans, yeah. Jewish, um, Hispanic, the Native American, um, most people of color have always had to go outside the box just to receive regular medical care. And this is one of the most premier examples of that. And that's mm -hmm. what, where I see it. Yeah. I mean, I think the documentary really, when I think back to it now, it just captures so much of going what's going on right now from um, the redlining to where Blacks were allowed to live for uh, all the way. And it's what it is, is it's everything builds on itself, which leads us to a much bigger issue. Um, what you have then and what you still have now is a community fighting to be acknowledged, fighting to be heard. And then the great thing about our story is you see an oppressed community, but the people within that oppression still excel. And they provide not just uh, good health care, the best healthcare <laughs> to their their community. It's and I keep going back to it. With um, one of the people we interviewed um, stated in the film is that these people in this area became the best because they could not get the best. Right, and that is a theme that is so prevalent that we continually have to do. But it seems like when we think we've taken so many steps forward, we realize we're still back fighting for the same initial thing we were fighting for years ago. And this film, at the time we re, um, released it, I'll say our distribution um, team was very interested in the fact that, wow, we have an avenue, because they were very interested in tying it to um, the whole, because COVID had just um, yeah. really became a, a big thing. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and also, we were still, we were just hearing about the disparity in COVID within the African-American community. So it's like, well, if we look at this documentary, the history will show the reasons why. And it's the same. It's, I mean, it's a good thing when you look at it from a filmmaker, from a while we have an angle to attach our project to. But 
as an African-American, you're sitting back like, are we still fighting for the same things that we've been fighting for? It's, it's just that constant thing of how far have we really um, come, but yeah. it's a great thing to have your film um, making a voice. That's, that's, a, that's a huge thing. Starting the conversations, because that's what's happening right now. All these conversations are finally being started, very difficult conversations that we've avoided for years. And it's great to have a project that is a part of starting those conversations. Yeah, because right now, along with having a, a global pandemic with a, a virus, like a sickness <laughs> right. virus, we're mm -hmm. also shedding light on a global pandemic in regards to racial disparity. And yeah. you see the parallels in both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you, you really can. I'm sorry, were you about to say something, Joyce? No, I was just in agreement. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you, you really can. And it's, um, I mean, honestly, in, in, in the point of making these projects, that was not our intent. Our, always, our intent always is basically telling the best story that we can possibly tell. And then also with a documentary, the thing that is really hard is to tell a story and be very um, kind of sub, uh, what is this Ob objective about what you're telling because you want to present both sides. Yeah, non-biased, you know, just exactly, exactly. You'll hear material or stories that you really um, identify with, but also you want to present the opposite side of that. So it, it's really very, it, it's sometimes difficult to remove yourself, but you're presenting both sides and removing your opinion completely and letting the audience decide but what it is is just the audience is starting that conversation because there was definitely people there was definitely like white people that contributed to the success of yes of of this uh, hospital mm -hmm. you know so yeah. and i'm glad that you know you guys did that you know and yeah it's 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 showing that you know you guys can be non-biased you know non-biased about this story that mm -hmm. it's that it's not necessarily just you know a group of people it's also a system that's that causes this happen and that there's you know there's people that are going to be there for the greater good and will mm -hmm. help uh you know get a hospital like that off the ground that's very yeah, true yeah and, and to true. touch on what you both were saying um brian was referring to one of the um there was an historian that we interviewed um uh, mr wright um, he's the one that talked about um, because they couldn't get the best, they had to become the best because during that time, since there was segregation, they everyone lived in a segregated community. So mm -hmm. there were the and and everyone lived in the same community, which were doctors, lawyers, and you know there were there was no separation. You know there wasn't the poor lived here and the rich lived here. Everyone lived in the same community, mm -hmm. and um, when you mentioned about um, the uh, inclusion of white doctors and Washington University, who is who is who you're probably referring to that actually helped get the hospital yeah. off the ground. That was still, even though they did that, um, it was almost like most black hospitals at the time um, had to be accredited by a white hospital, which seems unbelievable that they would have to do that. Yeah, but yeah. that was why the white white um, Washington University um, was part of that uh, historic moment. And then also the fact that the president of the United States and his wife, uh, President Roosevelt, um, um, Eleanor was the one that got the the WPA, you know, the New Deal started yeah. so that 
you know, areas like St. Louis could have their own hospital and all the bridges and all those things, because if it were not for them, those communities would have suffered. And mm-hmm. um, we, it was very interesting because we did try to show both sides. We sh- uh, tried to actually reach out to the former mayors um, and, and governors um, that would should still be alive today. <laughs> and they, they didn't want to respond. You know, we just mm-hmm. had to go basically on the news clippings right. and such to show that they're what they, you know, contributed and did not contribute. But mm-hmm. we will say in regards yeah. to Washington University that they recognized the importance of this documentary and they actually held a uh, honorary uh, yeah. a banquet for um, Dr. Robinson, his daughter, myself, and Brian. Mm-hmm. And they actually gave us an honorarium in honor of the film. Oh, um, mm-hmm. at, nice. Uh, which yeah, was nice. amazing. Um, and, mm-hmm. a, and a huge plaque to to note the importance of this film. Congrats, and nice. And we were really honored. And Dr. Will Ross, who you saw in the film, the gentleman with the bow tie, he was amazing. Um, he's the d- gentleman who was over this department, uh, which was a lecture series, because one of the significant um, trainers of the hospital, um, he, it was a friend of his whose father was uh, Dr. Hampton. Uh, uh, Henry Hampton was the uh, first medical director. Uh, well, you know, the more or less of Homer G. Phillips. And then after that, uh, the other gentleman, I think it was Dr. Sinkle, took over. But um, uh, Dr. Hampton's son was a friend of his, and he passed away. So he really knew the significance of the hospital, and he was instrumental in getting mm-hmm. us that honorarium. So, mm-hmm. and, and these are things, again, that we had no idea what were going to happen. We just went into researching and, and um, getting all this information, and, and it just got in, more and more interesting the more we delved into it historically. Yeah. And it is really an amazing story. And we're so glad mm-hmm. to get it out there. Right. Definitely. Definitely. There's um there's something that I noticed about this story and I, and I th- and it always happens when when there's progress being made is that you know, and there's it's this thing about um having mixed feelings about the progress that's being made. And there's the mm-hmm. obvious ones about why we're even doing this, but what you know, a part that really uh hit home with me was um once the once um Homer J Phillips was uh you know opened you know they're mm-hmm. talking about you're talking about um what he would have thought about this and mm-hmm. at, you know part of them would have been proud to be named mm-hmm. after it then the others like well this is still segregation and he was totally against that what what's your thoughts about like just the segregation but in comparison to black people having their own things, you know, even today, Mm. you know? Yeah. yeah, Well, I think for me, um, growing up during the time that I grew up in the Midwest, um, and Dr. Robinson, who was featured in the film, was someone that I grew up with that I actually saw going to work every day. And I lived, I didn't live in a segregated community. The the neighborhood was all African-American professionals. Um, in an upper middle class uh, neighborhood, but um, we were surrounded by um, mostly a white neighbor, neighbor townships and all of that. Yeah. And um, um, but it was interesting because we, the city of St. Louis, it, it had a different climate. You know, it still had a little bit of segregated feelings, like racism, even in the history when we were looking it up. Um, to be able to 
show how black people excel during that time, it was kind of the norm for us because I remember having uh, a black doctor who was actually a doctor that some of the doctors there knew years ago um, when I was a baby. Um, also having a black veterinarian for our dog, you know, black service stations, black pharmacies, everything was black. And you really didn't feel that you were being segregated. You just lived it because right. that was how it was. Right. And um, in that community, Brian and I worked on another um, documentary called Evening at the Hungate. Um, have you heard of Troy, Michigan at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were fortunate enough to work with Rachel Strap, uh, Rachel Stratham, uh, Stratman, who is a director as well. And her and Brian co-directed another documentary we did that featured William Hungate, who was the senator, I believe, that helped with segregation in the city of St. Louis in 1980. And we were just shocked at that because 1980 had not, the, the city of St. Louis had not been desegregated. I mean, that was like, insane that tells you how far along you know racism continued in st louis so yeah and how imagine, close all of this really oh is God, you yeah. know yeah. this was in like yeah. the last 30 or 40 years that's ridiculous that that would just be happening but um it was really great that even he championed you know people being together but but i think though the community which was brought up by um one of the other uh interviewees uh, about we actually thrived better in that environment, even though it was segregated. Yeah. Um, I think, like I said, being a part of that as, as a child, I didn't. You didn't feel like you were being separate from anyone. You just felt that right. you, because you know, it just feels good to see your own people. Yeah, of uh, course. Doing yeah. things. Yeah. So you didn't feel like you were missing out on anything at that time. That's how I felt about it. Yeah, it, it's funny. It, it's a definite mixed bag. So I was going to say the exact same thing that you're uh, saying. When you're, there's definitely something to, and it was it was a great point that was made by the doctors that we interviewed. There is definitely something to um, when you're training and you're learning um, in an environment from people that look like you. There, there's a safety net. Um, around that, especially when you think about that time training to be a doctor, you're trying to do something that you're, you're already seeing it as an, an anomaly. So, but it's not that strange because you're looking at somebody who's already done it. And I think that that's the, there's, there is a very um, kind of comforting feel about that. But then it's weird. Cause I think about my experience when I wasn't born in um, California, we moved, I was born and raised in Wisconsin, but we moved out here when I was five. And I remember getting into the school systems, everybody was telling my parents to get him out of this school system and put him into this school system because this school system is going to fall apart and your son is bright and he's going to learn more over here. I basically went and I was in, I was almost, I was always one of the few black kids at predominantly white, white schools. That was the education that I got. Yeah. And I, and it's, it, it's, so it's, it's, you know, twofold because I think I had a very good, good education and I completely understand my parents at the time wanting to give us the best. My point in making that is, it's the same thing that happened with these doctors. The moment any community that is already cut off from the rest of the community, when they thrive and there are all of a sudden specialists in those communities, they're plucked from those communities now to be part of the greater society. So that yeah. community that has built up its own people collides again because you you come in and you've taken the best of us. Take the best. Again. 
Right. So it, it, it's, it's twofold because I think about that with the school system. Were those schools that I was going to that bad or was it because we, all the good people were being pulled? So what was left was something nobody wanted to invest in. And the yeah. continue, I think about that happened to me in the school systems and it's happened then. And it's, it's, it's a twofold thing how I feel about because I can understand why we needed that to happen. But at the same time, it pulled the livelihood from a community and it did the same thing there. So there needs to be kind of like a twofold instead of pulling the best. Maybe there's some type of integrate. It's such a difficult question that I don't have the answer and yeah. answer to it. And I definitely really appreciate you asking that question, but it touches on so many different things. And I think that's why you see so many people in the streets today. There's no easy answer to this, but at least we're comfortable enough. We're at the point where we can answer, ask the question and have a conversation about it and hear both sides to it because there's always both sides to every one of those questions. And it's interesting too, to touch on that. Um, I, I was really fortunate with my family because my parents were kind of crazy anyway. They <laughs> loved to move, you know? So <laughs> it was interesting. And the reason I bring that up is because we were in Indianapolis, which like I said, the community, even though it was um, uh, where it was, there was mostly blacks in that neighborhood. And then we were surrounded by white. So I had a lot of white friends. And during that time, there were no other minorities at my school. It was just white and black. And it was at my high school, it was mostly white. And like Brian was saying, we were like the only black kid. There weren't, there weren't, but, but there was a black community of kids. Like everybody knew everyone, mm. but then I got the opportunity. Well, it's kind of strange. Started off in a grade school that was all black, had a black principal. Then my parents did the move to the suburbs, supposedly, where we had white principal and we had a white, I mean, a black vice principal, but I didn't have any more black teachers, which is weird. So then we moved from there down to Mississippi was the last place I lived before I graduated high school. I had one year of high school in Mississippi. And I'm glad that I had that because we went to an all black high school again i mean i for me that was a first and it was a really different dynamic i had all black teachers there was no whites at all in this school and mind you this is in 1979 1980 i was like oh my god it was really like a culture shock for me because you know i went from black and then all white and then all black again but I'm glad I did because there was a, such a difference. It was such a community. Like everyone knew everyone, everybody worked together. And I mean, it wasn't easy, but we excelled at that school, but it was just a totally different vibe. And I'm glad I got that. And then I moved to California, which had so many different ethnicities. <laughs> I didn't know how to deal with it, but I learned and I appreciated it, you know, but it definitely taught me and showed me the, just pretty much what Homer D. Phillips was doing, showing you how you can be you know, in the best, but around your own people. And I don't, I don't like that message that people say, well, if we pull blacks out of a school of their own, that they'll be treated better in, in a white school. I mean, I don't, I don't like that because mm -hmm. it's saying, uh, saying that our people aren't, you know, good enough to, to produce the best. That, that's the only thing I don't appreciate about that type of attitude. Right, I think yeah. you can do better and do well in both environments. Mm -hmm. It's just the money that schools could be given to, to, to give them a better education, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. during, during times like this where there's a lot of protesting going on, there's always the kind of like the idea that um, more black communities need to invest in their own communities like have their own things, you know, their own businesses and whatnot. 
Like mm-hmm. here in 2000, or, yeah, here in 2020, um, do you think there is a good version of segregation? You know, what's the difference between having, is there a good version of that? What does that look like? And what is the difference between just having a black owned businesses mm-hmm. and supporting your people or your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. We were just talking about that actually, um, because with all of, with the climate that we're in right now, and with people saying, you know, um, with all of the different big companies, you know, trying to show their support. Yeah. But you know, the question that I raise with that is, um, where were those companies before COVID and before that? What? Well, why is? Yeah, yeah. Th- did the need to do that now, like donating to HBCUs and all those things? Why? Yeah, and when and when people uh, and when people start protesting and even it gets to rioting, they mm-hmm. feel like their neighborhood isn't theirs. So okay. there's always that uh, that idea of all right, let's build our own neighborhood. That's well, that's segregate, you know. Mm-hmm. So what? You know, yeah, like what does that? Yeah, to continue on, what does that look like in in 2020? I, in a way, it's kind of, I think it would be literally, it's not, and I, and I think it's really a hard thing because it's not that African-Americans want to be completely isolated. I just think they want to be one of the choices at the table, Yeah, I think is what it is, so that people can choose whatever they want instead of constantly being funneled to only have, you know, this certain type of offer you know it's like we were talking about like if you wanted to buy a car you know you should be able to you know buy a car from all types of different uh you know vendors as opposed to this one type of vendor because every time you go to purchase a car that same vendor is who you see i mean you see it all day long i mean even to this day when you're in your local city and you see you know uh commercials you don't see african-americans talking up about oh here's my cars come to come to fitzpatrick yeah. dealership and buy a car you don't see that um mm-hmm. you did see it a long time ago but you don't see it now right, and, right. I, and i don't know why that is I, yeah. I i don't know if it's because of the unavailability of loans or like ryan was mentioning before redlining i mean that's the thing too even with the communities yes you do have a choice but then when you move to those communities, you're ostracized, you're treated badly. And it's like, why? Why is that? You know, yeah, there's always like this like- sense that like it, it it almost is like this underlying sense that like black products are inferior. Like and that yeah. when you say black owned something, black owned, that there's all these like myths that are attached to it. You know, that, that, that's, that, that's, that's very true. true. Very true. But then. Go ahead, Brian. I think even in the way um, before now that when people spoke of those things, it was always, even in the voice, it was always where understand you're going to get a product, but it's going to be less than what you would normally normally be getting. It's always like, oh, yes, there's these other things that we should support during this amount of time. Like, hey, you can support it during Black History Month. Here's <laughs> 28 days yeah. or, you mm-hmm. know, at least 27 days will give you to go support this stuff. It's, um, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a it's a difficult conversation. But I also I honestly do believe it's not complete separation. It's yeah. it and it sounds like complete separation because it's a voice that hasn't been heard that keeps speaking louder and louder and louder. That's why, like prime example, I I, I always shake my heads in debates when I hear people tell you, well, it's not Black Lives Matter, it's all lives matter. Yes, but we're we're not talking about the lives that are being snuffed out. 
we're talking about the lives that are in danger. Yeah, exactly. And when you, yeah, when, you, yeah. when, you, when you pinpoint it to the, the per people that, uh, you know, lives are in danger, in the long run, it'll be better for everybody. So, right. Exactly. Right. It, it, right. It, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think it, a true vision of how it works is literally if you go to a, a store, I should have the option in living in my community, I should have an option to go to a store that's reflective of the community I live in. I should have an option to go to a store that's owned by a Latino, that's owned by a black, that's owned by a Muslim. It should be reflective because every community you live in is going to be a little bit different. It should be reflective of the community you live in. And with people, that, the thing that gets really frustrating where it goes from, pro, uh, I think, protesting to rioting is what people are asking for are basic human rights yeah mm -hmm. you have a people that are asking to be acknowledged i think what joyce was saying what people really want is just an opportunity to come to the table to the table and exist yeah. you know I, I compare it to, <laughs> I, I compare it to filmmaking you're really especially as an independent all that you're keep trying to do is to get into the room and be heard you can tell me no but can i at least get into the room to present my idea people and, aren't we aren't even being let into the room and that's and being, that's the problem yeah. yeah and being seen as equal too because like brian says you're you're in the room it's just like i know for me growing up um before i went into film i wanted to be a doctor uh but more in a, in a veterinarian stand uh veterinarian option but I got an opportunity because I lived near those professions. I saw black people doing those professions. Yes. So mm -hmm. it gave me the option mentally to even go there. The problem is for some young black kids and other minorities, they live in a community where they don't even see themselves in those positions. Right. So right. they don't ever think. And that's why when they watch television, why they only see, like a lot of people say, oh, black kids always want to be basketball players. Well, you're not showing them anything else. That's so all they grew up on is watching sports. Yeah, That's the only thing exactly. that they saw. You saw Michael right. Jordan and whoever else. Exactly. <laughs> right. So if they're not seeing themselves in another avenue, then they're not going to do that. Like, it's great. Right. I mean, but there's nothing wrong with sports. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying. No. But why, do, why do they think golf excelled when Tiger Woods started playing? Because it's now visible. people see themselves. Yeah. So you, it, it will work the same way in skateboarding, skiing, any sport you put out there or right. any any type of job or whatever. If, if people of color see themselves in it, then they'll do that. And when you were talking about with uh, um, um, the products and vendors, the same thing. Now, yes, everyone has uniqueness, especially African-Americans when it comes to hair care products and things like that. Yeah. But we still can use the same facial products to an extent. You know, we can still, we all wear the same clothes. So why is it that um, there was a black woman who started a clothing line or something at Target and she got like bombarded with insults. People saying, get out of this store. Who do you think you are? I'm like, oh my God, that, that's ridiculous. Why wouldn't she be able to sit at the same table as other people? That's right. all that we asked for. And so she's like, yeah. other people can right. wear her, uh, her her clothes too. Exactly. You know? it's really exactly. exactly. We all have the same so body parts, you know? Right. I think it gets so much to a point where um, I think African-American products and services aren't being supported that the voice to champion to champion these services has become so loud. Again, it sounds like don't use anything else. No, they're not saying that. No, yeah. We're not, we champion just these products also when you're going out. It, it shouldn't even be. It's the fact that the problem is even in the separation already. Why is it that when I'm going out, I can go buy products or I can go buy African-American products? 
even in, even in the presentation that's how systematic it is we don't even understand even in the presentation of it it's there's these products and then there's all oh, these other products out here so now you're basically outside knocking on a door with a product that's been told inferior and now come in and sell it who wants it right right why can't it just right. be like you that's want to buy this product thing. and so happen it uh it's black owned Exactly. I bet you, you, the funny thing is, if they did black products, like you see some of these um, Burger King commercials, like try that. And now that you have it, that's from, that's a black owned product. People would be amazed, but knowing it's a black owned product before they even, they'll never want to try it. Your biases are already are, are being, yeah, being yeah. formed. And it's just, it's so subconscious and systematic. It, it's, it's rooted in all of us. It really is. And the interesting thing too, that Brian brought up, in the movie, in The Color of Medicine, the story of Homer G. Phillips Hospital, that is one of the points that the doctors brought up who were interviewed. Um, Dr. Robinson, Dr. Earl Robinson, who brought us the story, and we were thankful for him yeah. to do that. It's actually his baby that we yeah. were able to get all of this started, and we, we thank him and his daughter, Rebecca Robinson, for, for, for bringing the story to us. Um, mm. He talks about how they like i mentioned earlier about having to be accredited through washington university but they had to constantly prove themselves like yep. even there's a scene you remember the scene in the film where the uh, the, the the one doctor uh, uh was telling them that this particular diagnosis was a particular thing i don't want to give away so people can right. see it and, <laughs> and then when when the white doctor who was overseeing and said it couldn't possibly be that you don't know what you're talking about and then it ends up being exactly what the black doctor said it was yeah. it's like why is it that they have to constantly prove themselves it's like they you know why can't you just take their word for it it's like they have to constantly be you know uh uh validated by someone white and and that it's like and who says the white person is saying the right thing right why right is that? that's <laughs> right. not always the case they don't have they don't know everything just like we don't know everything but i just think that's wrong you know mm -hmm. i just think that's wrong and we still do that today like, like if you walk into a room, Brian and I talk about this all the time because, and I've actually had people when I was a child, my, that Fitzpatrick is my father's name. So um, that's my maiden name, Fitzpatrick. And, and when I was a kid, one of the school teachers who was white um, kept asking me about my name. So when I went home and told my mother, my mother had to go up to the school because she's like, why are you asking my daughter about her name? You know, that's her name. She's like, why does she have an Irish name? You know, it's the stupid stuff like that. Right, it's like right. there's always this question as to everything that we're about. We're, we can never just be accepted. Yeah. There's always an issue behind it, you know? Right, right, right. There's a part of uh, The Color of Medicine that, that talks about the nurses, the women of this story. Um, they, you know, when they came in, they were taught not just to be you know, good nurses, but to be all around, you know, just well-rounded people, you know, mm -hmm. they went to plays, they went to sporting events, they went to everything, you know, mm -hmm. women in general, you know, during that time had their own struggles, but when you're a woman of color, that's even more, you know, there's even more struggles. Like talk about sort of, you know, the idea that, you know, what they wanted to instill in these women at this, at this hospital. I think that, um, and that's a great question. And, yeah. and just to reiterate on that, even though there were all women, there were actually two male 
nurses okay. that yeah. existed as well. Um, we did not, we, we actually met one, but he had been interviewed in a previous documentary about Homer G. Phillips, but um, the latter gentleman, we did not get to interview, but he did get a chance to see the documentary, but that was the way the times were back yeah, then. Yeah. There just weren't that many men. But I believe that the reason why the women were cultured that way is because as we always are, um, judged differently and they wanted these nurses to in case someone came in what if they were um at an opera and someone passed out or something and they needed to be a help they just wanted these people to be well-rounded and cultured so that they could provide the best customer service because because being a nurse is almost like having be a nurse is a unique position in those times because not only did they have to have best customer service they also had to know as much as the doctors yeah because if the ones that we interviewed stated that we had to know the instrument that the doctor needed before he asked for it. Yeah, so yeah. you had to be extremely intelligent to be a nurse during those times. Yeah. And so we felt that based on what you saw in the interviews is that these nurses felt, I mean, that they were taught by the, the nursing supervisors, you have to be cultured and you have to be able to approach everyone in a, in a very kind and accommodating way because you don't know who you're going to be helping. A nurse is like that. They say Florence Nightingale. You can, you may see people in all walks and shapes of life, and you need to be able to deal with them. So they wanted them to be cultured that way. That's how the, the in, uh, interpretation that I had with the nurses, Brian. No, and I, I think that's that that's right on. It's um, I I take it back to with um, the head nurse said nursing yeah. at that time was a career. Right now it's 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 a job, and that's how um, they really. Um, embodied everything that was going on. It was a career choice to them. And I also think that with that hospital, um, Homer G. Phillips living in the Ville and the way that the community was structured, when you're going out, you're representing that hospital within your community. So it was twofold. It's one, um, the pride that you had, the excellence of what you had achieved, because again, these people became comfortable being the anomaly, but also it was you're going through a community of younger black folks that are looking at you also seeing what is possible. Mm-hmm. And some of them had never, never seen that before. Like even when I think about even today, there's, and it's crazy to think about this, eight, I would say 10 years ago, a black kid could not sit and think uh, and, and have a reference of what a president of the United States could be. But now that once you see it and somebody else achieves it, it becomes possible. And right. I think that that's because especially in the African community, African American community, we see it in sports all the time, but now we're putting an emphasis and seeing it in politics and seeing it in film and seeing it in other realms, because with everything that's going on, we're talking about statistic, uh, systemic problems that are set up by a system. We have to get in and be decision makers that are affecting the changes that are being made in that system instead of the people that are always performing when the people that are making decisions need a break to go watch something on TV, they'll come see us dribble a basketball or, you know, do something funny, but then they'll go back and make the decisions. We need to be some of the people going in the room or at least know that these people are going in the room are truly people that we've put inside that door. That's the, that's the power we have. And it all starts with, you know, the, the, the voting and to make sure that, that the black dollar matters because we do have economic power, yeah. but it's yeah. just, and then at the end of the day, to do all to do all of that on a daily basis, it's it's a lot. It's a big it's a big torch 
to carry. So it, it can sometimes be such a daunting task, like everything. Prime example, I remember the big thing when me and Joyce finished this documentary, we had the whole thing bro uh, broken down on post-it notes on the wall. When you look at the entire thing, it's too big. It's a mountain that nobody can climb. <laughs> but if you break it down into, let's just deal with this part here. Yeah. And then we'll move on and deal with this part before you know it, the, the, the project is done. And I think, I'm hoping that's what we do now because yes, there's so many problems from the police system to um, hiring systems to just there's entire racism. And, and, and so we just have to break it down into smaller pieces and start yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Because when you think about everything about racism <laughs> and all in systematic institutional racism, you're like, yes what like where do you start that's why that's why like you know when you think about you know phrases like all lives matter and everybody should just be kind to others and yeah. all that stuff there's no steps to to better no, anything no, in any true. of those it, it, so we got to exactly. break it that, down to all these different true. things and tackle those one one and one you know and what i'm seeing right now is that a lot of times um and i think this happens a lot of times when these hot button issues come up whether it's uh, racism or the me too movement or something it inspires other ones that will that doesn't necessarily step on the toes of the others like Very this true. like this week um you know we've, we've had these protests for weeks black lives mm-hmm. matter and everything but this week what like there's you're seeing a lot of things about sexual abuse yes. sprouting up you know and mm-hmm. people people are finding the courage to do that because of the climate that we're in, but that's not stepping on the toes of the black lives matter movements. Right. That's giving these other people a voice because Mm -hmm. they're seeing what's happening in the black lives matter movements. That's Mm -hmm. so, yeah, if we can break it down to these very, you know, digestible, you know, something to tackle, then we can make progress. That's very true. That's very true. Were you about to say something, Joyce? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying it grins, but it's so true. It's it's just more or less, uh, like you said, when you can break it down into sections, it's easier to digest. And even when we were making the color medicine, um, because, again, it was so overwhelming, uh, there was so much information. But what was really great about it, it, this entire thing happened in 42 years, as far as the hospital existing. But there was actually another 10 to 15 years before the hospital was built. That's actually also part of the documentary that people will see when they watch it, which is why we included it. Because when we were doing our research, we asked everyone, that was one of the questions that I asked every single interviewee. Um, was who is Homer G. Phillips. And believe it or not, even a lot of people did not know. They did not know anything about him. Um, and that was one of the goals that we wanted to make sure we yeah. we made sure people, when they walked away from that movie, they knew who he was. And that's that a was nice, that's of- a nice, that was a nice part of the documentary because um, mm-hmm. like, I, I like that. Like, I like the, where, where did this come from? Why did this happen? Who's this name that's on this hospital? Um, where were you, where was, what was life like for this yes. community before this thing happened? And mm-hmm. that, and it really, you know, sets it up to all the reasons why this happened, you know? So that's what I really liked about the documentary. Well, thank you. And, and it also makes you think when you leave the doctor, because there were compliments that we got from parents, from uh, school systems, 
Um, Because they said, you know, we can take this documentary and it covers like three or four classes. And this was not only in the um, the uh, parochial schools, but in the universities, because they were saying it's teaching us the history. It Mm -hmm. talks about the history of St. Louis. It talks about the history of Homer Phillips. And it also gives you that opportunity when you're out and about, uh, uh, Kelly, you see a building and has a name on it. Now you stop and think, I wonder what why that that was named after that person. And then you actually go and find that information out because evidently that person did something monumental in their community for for this this building to be named after them or at least you hope that they did something monumental yeah and it goes back to that thing about uh you know the topic being really huge to tackle when you have like this nugget of a person's name to start with you can start there and it makes you think like okay you know I can start my own thing too, because it might've been just one person that started it. So mm-hmm. like you can start your own thing, you know, in your own right. life, you know, possibly to, to do something, you know, to change something in your life or in your community, you know, not this big, you know, you're like, how do I tackle racism? But you could be right. like, I think I can s- do something to start it, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, that's a great, I mean, that, that's a, a great comment that you made and a, a great point. And again, um, I, I love the point that you um, made about liking where it started, because we, you would not believe how many times we sat and rattled our, our, our brain on where did we start? Because we have right. all of this information and you're realizing all this information isn't going to um, be in. But mm-hmm. the most, I think, important thing of any documentary is definitely um, the beginning. But one thing that I thought was so paramount was that to tell this story, you have to, it's almost, for me, our beginning is like how every story starts. Once upon a time, like every great story starts about that. So to tell these story, this story about all of these great people, you had to understand the time period first. Yeah. Once you understand the time period that's going on, then I'm going to tell you about all of these great things that these people did, right. regardless of what was going on. It, it, it really sets, um, sets the stakes for what was happening at that time right. yeah. and what we're, we're able to, um, achieve which is it's really uh groundbreaking what they were able to achieve at, at, at that time so many pioneers and really like i said the bar was constantly set high for them and they constantly excelled, um, excelled, excelled yeah yeah because even today like um you have uh you know generations you know a black generation that's many generations removed from that time period into right. times that were a lot different even though there's certain things that are still going on so mm-hmm. a lot of them might not connect with like what was going on so when you're able to kind of frame it and visualize and put into words what was going on during that time maybe these you know this this younger generation can get more of an idea than sort of like the because you know history gets you know revised and revised and revised <laughs> you know i think black folks know that more than anything you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny that you bring that up kelly because a, a lot of the uh, audience demographics that we had we were actually surprised um because we thought oh this is totally going to resonate with the older community but you'd be surprised if you go to the website um uh we tend we wanted to put and also on our facebook page um 
we uploaded all of the, whenever we would have a, a private screening, we would make it a point to interview people right after the screening. Yeah. And we would see all these different demographics, different ethnicities, uh, ages. We actually had young um, females and male doctors or people who were studying medicine and uh, crying at the end saying, I had no idea that this hospital existed. And this is why I, you know, Brian had met a young gentleman who said he had thought of stopping his medical training, but after yeah. seeing the movie, it gave him the inspiration to continue. Right. Okay. And then yeah. met another young lady uh, who she just, she broke down and started crying when we interviewed her. Cause she said, this mm -hmm. was such an amazing story. It made me really proud to be studying for medicine. And then um, whenever we would go to screenings, we had families that would come up to us and say, I had to, I, I saw this already. And then I went back and got my children and made them watch it. You know, we had people that came like repeaters, like three <laughs> and four times in St. Louis, because they said, my kids need to see this because they keep thinking, oh, we live in St. Louis and it's boring, it's this, it's that. They have no idea that this facility represented so much. And then we had older people. We had people who lived across the street from the hospital and didn't even know what it was. Right. It, it's insanity, but it was, it was, we're so proud of that. I think that's one of the, one of the proudest things about the documentary is the point that you touched on is getting out who Homer, because again, I was learning out who Homer G. Phillips was and telling this story, but what this man did and stood for. And then the tragedy is he was assassinated before he ever saw the hospital bill. Never so got it. Just, it, it, it. It continues, and your heart breaks for this, but you understand what he saw and what he was after because yeah. he knew the excellence that existed in his community. He again, if you just give these people the opportunity, if you just let them in the door, you'll be amazed at what they could do. And it, it, it um, he was able to see. Now again, I, he would have maybe had some issues about the um, about you know it being desegregated. But I think the overall picture and the number of lives that they saved and you'll see when you see the documentary, the old footage of the people coming in and out of that door. I mean, it looked more like a church than it did a hospital. It, did. it was definitely the heart of that community. People took so much pride in the fact that they could walk down the street, get good health care. Matter of fact, they'd be at a store and see your doctor go by and point up to your child. You know, you, you could, that's something you could be one day oh yeah or the women who were once like treated there are now are not we're now like nurses yeah. there you know <laughs> yeah yeah it was a beautiful thing um to see and what was a beautiful thing is in the interviews you could see every person that we interviewed kind of left the interview they were going back in time and reliving the, and some of these stories were so emotional to them also that this time that existed so happy that it existed but the realization that it's gone and it probably will never come back yeah again um, you could see them reliving those moments right then and there. And that's, it, it's a blessing and an honor to be able to capture that time because I think it would have definitely been a, another one of those phenomenal stories of black excellence that's just swept under the rug. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, and I felt that, you know, all those interviews, you're like, wow, you know, they were really like, that's something that they like, won't forget, you know, they're, 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 they're painting those pictures so vividly, you know. Like yeah. you knew how important that time in their life was. Mm -hmm. Very true. One Very thing true. that I wish 
Um, we're so glad that the documentary has got distribution and that it's going to be seen worldwide and, and everything. But mm. what really makes me slightly sad, though, is, you know, we're so glad that someone like you and we, we don't get me wrong. We've had a lot of, of worldwide coverage in, in so many different ways. But it, it, it really saddens me sometimes because we're such a society that feels, you know, if we had had like Jay-Z or somebody narrating it it would be on, you know, uh, Good Morning America. And, right. and I think that's so sad because there's so many people that really need to see this. And I don't know how far reaching your your um, podcast is, but, you know, for these newscasters out there that could get this on national, we're not doing it for us. You know, right. it's not us getting these accolades. This, these, this story needs to be out there because we've been told it's like the hidden figures of hospitals. Right. And yes, we don't have any celebrities in it. The celebrities are the doctors and the nurses and the community. So I wish yeah, yeah. that we could get that type of coverage where people can, you know, see it. More people can see it um, because of that reason. I you feel know? you on next. I just saw another uh, documentary. I'm not going to name what it is, but it had all these different... Uh, celebrities in it and then had all then it was about the subject and there was such like a it there, there was just i don't know what, what the word is like there's like <laughs> this chasm between them like right. the and i'm just like i was like i could have just watched this documentary without the celebrities you know yeah. and right. and i feel what you're saying is that like to get attention to these things like you have to have like that celebrity voice a part part of it, and mm. I'm sure there could have been somebody that could have done it justice, but a lot mm. of times when they you know do that, there's just something that's not working. Right, right, and, you, and you don't want something like that to take away take away um, from it. Yeah, right, right. The, 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 the other um, voices, but it is, and I think you know with um, again the breaking it down into smaller sections. Being on podcasts like this and constantly getting getting yeah. it out, especially with everything that's going on now, it's drawing more and more um, uh, attention. It's just you know, it's it's the constant road of the um, the independent where yeah. um, you're put you you're constantly saying you know putting it out, putting it out, putting it out, and more than that, you it really is because to me the way I see it, I would hate to see what I consider these rock stars or these legends leave this earth without their proper dudes. Like to me, their, their farewell concert or their hall of fame induct being inducted hasn't happened yet. So now we've gotten this story out so people can realize how amazing with these, a lot of these black doctors that are performing, that are operating today, you have the opportunity to do what you can do in the medical field because of what these people did. Yeah. Exactly. And like you said about, uh, about Homer is that he, he died before seeing any of this uh, happen. You know, he didn't even like get to, you know, smell his own flowers, man. Yes. And that's happened a lot, especially in the black community where yes. you have yeah. these people who have touched, you know, society in some way, but mm -hmm. something happens, they pass away well before their time, you know, yes. and they made uh -huh. an impact on, you know, and that was something that was very, you know, you know, evident with this. There's another thing that was, um, and without giving, you know, too much away about it, that, that really resonated about what's going on today is that the, the sort of the military, the militarization of innocent and un you know, 
unprovoked people, un, you know, people that are just not violent at all, you know, right. that was happening in this story, you know, and mm-hmm. the the gross use, you know, misuse of power, you know, like, like talk about that part of the story and what you're seeing these days with the protests and the, the sort of militarization against these protests. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, one of the key people, one of the more powerful uh, storytellers is Mr. Wally Amusa. Um, and he was not a doctor and he was not a nurse and he did not work at the hospital, but he was a political activist. And I was able to meet him and he was brought to us through our connections in St. Louis. And he was a phenomenal interview. And he opened a lot of doors for us um, in our research. And he's an amazing speaker, as you could see, very powerful. And he's in our trailer as well. And what we learned um, during our interview, um, and I won't give it away, there's a scene where it's very, very powerful that he gives us. And he told us the reason why that speech or that um, his his answer to the question that I was asking him at that moment was so powerful because it hurt him so deeply that that hospital closed that the day that it closed, which was April 9th. I mean, I'm sorry, August 19th or August 17th of 1979. He never returned to that spot until the day we interviewed him. Wow. So you're talking about we interviewed him in what year was that, Brian? I think 2017? 17, yeah. And you're talking about the hospital closed in 1979. So if you do the math, that's like 50-something years or 60. He said, I've never set foot inside this building since the day it was closed. And that tells you how powerful it it was for him. And it tells you, it talks about the passion that people have. And and, and it it resonates today because all these people that are risking their lives with COVID-19 nationwide and worldwide to protest for our lives. And that's lives of people of color, period. I mean, these people are our saviors just being out there. You know, it's like, if you're willing to risk your life just to get your point across, this has never stopped, mind you. Our families, our parents, our ancestors, there are people have di- that have died, you know, yeah. doing yeah. what what people are out there doing today. Um, right. But that's part of the the power, the uh, part of the um, appeal of the documentary, and why I think it resonates today is because the the militarization that you're speaking of. Um, it was different back then because people didn't have cell phones, people didn't have computers, but the fact that they were able to come together and rally to fight for something that they wanted to exist, it, yeah. that, that was a huge statement that I think people really need to see. Um, and I won't give any more away from that, but that's <laughs> how I feel about it. Right. I think um, for me, honestly, I'll, it was extremely um, emotional. I remember coming to that point in the editing and I was cutting that maybe about two or three o'clock in the morning and when I was done, I kid you not, my computer was just covered with tissue. I, I, first of all, even the fact that we say that, like, there was, they required a military presence to close a, a hospital. Yo, those two don't even go in the same sentence. They don't make how, sense. That is crazy. When I got to that part, I was like, 
<laughs> right, right. It, exactly. It makes you mad. But it makes you mad. You it, know? it really, it really does. It makes you mad. I mean, it, it breaks your heart with some of those photos and to see how they were transporting the elderly to get them out. But when I think back to it, and I think back to one of the what one of the nurses said, which um, goes on what Joyce was saying, is um, they didn't have cell phones at the time. So the first thing that they did was cut off the switchboard. So they couldn't. Yeah. When, when you bring in military oh, force like that. I think, and I think um, another one of our interviewees, uh, interviewees touches, touches on it as well. Homer G. Phillips, that community, where that hospital, that community was so strong. That's exactly, they brought in military and let's close that because of, not for what the problem was, but what the problem could become. Yeah. They knew that we're about to go in and snatch the heart out of the chest of this person, and there's going to be some problems. Yeah, let's deal with the hard one first, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then we can close the other one. <laughs> exactly, because I also think by closing that one and moving as fast as they did, we can almost get in and get out. There's going to be some problems, but if we do this other hospital first and come here, oh, we, we won't have a, a, a chance because the people would literally stand in front and arm in arm and we'd have to go through them. But if we can sneak in and get in before they kind of even know what's going on, because the doctors and the nurses, no, no one even knew what was, was happening. You would think the medical staff would be told so they can work on getting their patients out nah. we can start this process no one um no one knew i can't think of any and i'm not saying there isn't one in history but i can't think of any hospital that was forcibly closed yeah they um, waited until the surgeries were done that day oh yeah thank you right right it, it just it, it's mine um it mind-blowing to think what you know what the sad thing is when i think about how re horrendous and mind-blowing that scene is I hearken it right back to our current president gas bombing, uh, you know, tear gassing protesters. Uh, protesters to go take a photo in front of the White House. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, it's different, but not really. It's, it, it's that it's this, it's that same mentality that allows that it to continue today where that's coming from. And the view you have of those people, it's the same view you have of these people, which is not as people, but as things that need to be removed and can be removed. Right. and operating that way it's just heartbreaking when you can talk to people and see what it meant to them and then when you talk to another group of people to see that it meant when, when something doesn't mean anything to somebody when they don't see you as human or as less than you'd be surprised at what they can do to you because they've detached your humanity therefore you're nothing it's almost the way you squish an ant or a fly you don't really matter and it's sad that we have a generation a society of people that are seen as flies and ants yeah and if uh, and if they close that up if they close the the white hospital first like the whole time that you know you know homer g simpson was open mm -hmm. they they always had a that you know that black cloud over their head like oh they're gonna close this down but if they yes. closed that white hospital down, they would have known, oh, they coming for us next, you know? Yeah. And they would have been able to, to, you know, rally up a protest, a real protest in, right. about it. But the fact that right. they're like, no, nah, we got to get rid of this first, but, like, just do it, like, a quick airstrike, you know? <laughs> right. That's, why, that's the least... best way to describe it. And you said it per an airstrike on a hospital in this community. What? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't but make sense. You know sense. what's interesting, too? Uh, you touched on uh, Kelly and Brian is with the white hospital closing, those people were never segregated. 
they could just go to another hospital. They were like, okay, it's just a city-owned hospital. Who cares? You know, let's go, go over to the other city. And their and their community wasn't um, affected by that. But yeah. Homer G. Phillips was like, that's like someone coming to your front yard. Like, you know what? I I pay for my house. You know what I'm saying? It's like this is my house. And if someone came here and said you got to move, I'm like, wait a minute. But I'm I, this is my place. You can't remove. Yeah, me. yeah. You know, right. but that's as that's how they felt about that hospital. It wasn't just a place. It was their home. And this was a place that they felt they owned that was theirs. And and they did feel very passionate about it. And that's why they I think they went after Homer G. Phillips first. Yes, right. you know, you know, they needed to close it, but they knew that it was more than just the hospital, that it represented their community and it really I, you know, for them to go in the way that they did, it, it, it definitely spoke to not only uh, demoralizing that community, but just like Brian was saying, they didn't think anything of it, but they, and they knew that the fight would be bigger, but it still, it still was like, they really didn't care. You know, I, I you know, it, it, there's so many levels that you can mm-hmm. take it to with that. Yeah, play. And like, another thing that really, you know, stood out that really, kind of touches on what's going on today is that like the nurses were supplied with like the best amenities like especially footwear because they needed good footwear so they were you know custom you know shoes that would you know help them immensely they would have been dead without them you know and and even like the ice cream thing you know and even the ice cream thing what they have today but like right now you you have you have billions of dollars being uh, spent on law enforcement. You know, there's cities that have freaking tanks, you know. But mm-hmm. the the nurses and the doctors that are fighting this COVID virus, like, they barely have anything, you know. Yeah. And that was yeah. something that really, like, touched me in this documentary. Mm. Is, yeah, is, like, they can't even get masks, you know. And this is why you know, we really hope that the, the, the film being in distribution, that a lot of people will get a chance to see it and, and actually see how important medical uh, facilities are. And, you know, whether you believe in socialized medicine or not, um, everybody, people don't think about illness until they get sick, which yeah, is yeah. sad. You yeah. know, it's like if we would, do the preventative, you know, of course, with healthcare and all of that. I mean, you know, like your your health and fitness and all of that, that'll help. But even if you're healthy, you still get sick. And yeah. and um, I think that what you said, you hit a, hit a nail on the head with how these doctors and nurses are struggling. They can't even get masks, more or less. I mean, that's just frightening to me. And, and then the disrespect of the public to go out without masks and they, they don't even care. And, and, and oh I don't know God. where that comes from. And I don't know why they think that, that when they do get sick and then they have to go to these hospitals, then what? But it's like, why are we so reactionary and not proactive? I, I don't understand. It's always, that. always. That's what this, yeah. beca- this is what like the society's become. There's, it's so reactionary and being like, oh, you can't tell me what to do, you know? And like, what does that have to do with but anything? It, it's so funny because it goes from you can't tell me what to do, and then when it doesn't work out, it was like, well, nobody told me. Right. Because <laughs> they were telling you. Or treat me it. now. I don't care You're what's right, going right. on. Yeah. Treat me now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know what, that, 
that reminded me, it, it was something that you said that was one, and I couldn't believe it when I heard it. it. It's like the ultimate salt in the wound where not only were they, um, you know, closing this hospital, and like you, you touched on it, Joyce, where you were saying others couldn't go get health care, but officers would go get gunshot wounds in clear across town and right. would make sure they were driven directly to Homer G. Phillips, where the best doctors were, because they, <laughs> they knew they were going to come shot. off that table. Right. That is mind-boggling to me. But the people from outside can come get care here. But the people here, you can't get any health care anywhere. Right. And you know what? Then we're going to take your hospital away. It's constantly, the legs are constantly being chopped, chopped, chopped. But right. at the same time, we constantly keep finding ways to, you know, it's like that scrambling up to the next person's shoulders to stand on before those legs get chopped. Then you've got to go to the next person because they're constantly, and once that hospital is gone, now these doctors and nurses, some of you are still the best, but you need a, a place to work. Well, you can come over here and work in this white hospital here, and you can come right, work right. over here and continue to give that that great medical care that you've been giving. But if now your people that you've been treating, they can't come over to these hospitals. But, no. that, but that, that's okay now, because now we have the reputation of having one of the best top doctors here. It's 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 mind it's mind boggling, and I think that was one of the reasons why we looked at this story. Like this story has to be told because it has so many layers. Honestly, to me, the story of Homer G. Phillips is not done being told. I think to me, we've turned told the first installment, but there's just so many layers to this story. It is definitely um, a docu series, and you pick what you think. Okay, this is. This is the avenue that we're going to tell at the beginning. Let's, and we just have hours and hours of footage that we haven't used. Right. And also, I think there's more interviews to have because I, I think now we should be able to sit with these city officials, especially in today's climate, explaining what happened then and how we don't go back there now. Because that's what we're, we're, we're definitely right. moving in that, that direction. There's voices and there's people that we weren't able to talk to that I would love to give them the opportunity to, to um present themselves because again we're just starting the conversation unless we have conversations just like this we'll be right back at the same spot we were or we, we'll be thinking we made progress that we realized we've never made right. because yeah, we talked about it but there's no actionable steps on what we're going to do right yeah. and then like well to 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 follow up on what brian was saying when white um people whether they be law enforcement like you said got shot they could actually go to homer g phillips to be treated but but the people from homer g phillips could not go to a white hospital and receive the same treatment and you can't imagine the discipline that these doctors and nurses had to have when they were working on these white police officers that they could easily accidentally slip and and do something <laughs> to do something to them and they didn't and that's sort of the story of black people period you know we're right, always right. Because it makes no sense. You want us to work in the white households and take care of your kids, but yet you want to kill us? Yeah, even street? even so during these that makes no sense. Right, right. right? Yeah, and, even during these uh, protests, there's that there was that photo of a uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protester carrying like um, yes, carrying somebody. Whether well, it was a cop, it was white, you know, to safety because he got hurt, you know, yeah. and that was crazy because. In in uh, color of medicine, there was that time about the do doctor in Korea, that mm -hmm. Doctor Oscar Jackson. Dr. Yeah. Oscar. yeah, yeah. And we met yeah. him, and he is no longer. He has passed away. But his wife Norma, they're such a nice couple, and we thank them so much for letting us interview him. And he talked about that about how he had to get the white doctors in Korea to treat. You're in the Korea fighting, but everyone that was in Korea wasn't against you, but they didn't even want the Koreans in their hospital. It's like we're always 
the the liaison to help other people. But when it comes to us having help, we're not allowed to have that. And what Brian was saying about we actually had over eight hours of footage because I interviewed over almost 100 people, but we didn't we weren't able to put all those people in the documentary because it would have been too long. (laughs) So we would want to go back and hopefully do a docuseries to cover all those other doctors because um, the ones who were in the last few years, like the 60s and the 70s, they're still out there. And I've been bombarded with phone calls because we're in California. There are people here because we had a screening here in California. And people that were in the audience were saying, my father was trained at that hospital or my aunt trained at that. So it's worldwide and nationwide. We would love to continue showing that, you know, yeah. but there was, we really had to make some really big decisions on who to include yeah. because it was very difficult because there were yeah, so but- many amazing stories and some really fun stories too. Uh, right. We were talking about, uh, there was a story where this girl, uh, even from the patients, because we wanted to include yeah. some of the patients, yeah. but it was just too long, right? And there was this one woman I interviewed and she said she was a little kid at the time. <laughs> and she said that her mom took her to go get her shots. And she said she hated needles, right? So she said the minute the doctor pulled the needle out, she took off running, ran out the door, down the street. And she said that doctor took off after her and chased her down and gave her her shot. (laughs) They probably had to tackle her, right? But I mean, those are the fun stories, too. I mean, there was a lot of really fun stories in this hospital. It wasn't all disparity and and horror and all that. Yeah, like the card games and yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of fun too. Yeah, Yeah, and I would love to show that too of all the positive things. It was like a big family. Yeah, everybody seemed to like have fun there, you know, whether they were, you know, you know, living there, you know, during their training or whatnot, or just everybody seemed to have fun there too, you know? Right, right. And all those stories needed to be told. But again, as Brian said, we have been approached about turning it into a docuseries. And we're really open to that. Um, we just have other projects we're working on right now, but that can also be in the queue of projects. Yeah. Um, we definitely would love to do that. And if you know anyone, people can champion and they can go to our website and say, hey, yeah, we want to see the docuseries, you know, yeah. you know put your word out there and, and maybe it'll, it'll happen, you know. So it's definitely something we would like to do. Yeah. To kind yeah. of, uh, you know, wrap things up, like, what do you hope, you know, ultimately people get out of watching The Color of Medicine? You want to go ahead, Joy? Um, I think what people could get out of this is whenever we've had screenings, Kelly, um, there was always a range of emotions from uh, laughter to crying to people gasping to people being angry. I mean, it really touches on every emotion. And I think what we would like, what I would like to see people get out of it is the importance of community, the importance of healthcare, and the importance of inclusion, and the importance of desegregation, that um, people need to work together to have the best, that there can't be any separation from that, um, and that communities need to own their health care. I think that's the problem. Communities don't own their health care. And I think communities need to champion health professionals more. 
Um, don't just say, oh, you need to go to that trade school and, and become a nurse. You know, I think the community needs to rally around that nurse and say, you know, we will come, I will be your first patient when you graduate. You know what yeah, I'm yeah. saying? It's like, I think you need to make these people feel that what they're doing is really important. And it's not just a job, that it's a career. And that's your yeah, because it's a hard it. road becoming a medical professional of any, you know, Absolutely. and it's, mm-hmm. it can be a very lonely, you know, existence, you know, especially when, well, the whole time, you know, you know, going through the, the education and everything, the long hours, that's a lonely journey. So you got to, you know, feel like there's people around you supporting you. Right. right. But, but, and that's absolutely right. But I also mean like there should be a community and that's what I'm saying, yeah. like where, just like how Homer G. Phillips was, like you should be able, like, like say for instance, if I wanted to be a nurse and if I were a young kid or whatever, I should be able to work at a hospital that's in my own neighborhood. I shouldn't have to travel 50 miles to go work at a, a hospital that you don't see me in that hospital. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. if I'm black, I shouldn't have to go just work at this white hospital over in whatever. I, I should be able to work in my own community where I may see Mr. Johnson down the street at the hospital. I think that's what makes people feel more comfortable and feel like, you know, that they're really doing something for their community. That's what I hope people get out of this. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, okay. when you go, because when you start that journey to becoming a medical professional, you're just being thrown into a system and yeah. who knows where you'll end up, you know, where the opportunities are open for you, you know? Right. And like you said, yeah, there should be a way where it's like, I want to be, I want to be a medical professional in my neighborhood. I want to, I want to be able to take care of my, my neighbors, you know, right. like I want to be able to live here and be like, Oh, come, come see me in my office, you know, right. <laughs> stuff like and, that. And that's so important because you know, for a fact, I mean, I know when I was growing up, like I got sick and my mother called Dr. Robinson and I actually went to his office because, hey, my next door neighbor is. And I mean, you know, it's not that, oh, he's a doctor. It's like, this is in my community. And like you said, what if something happened here or you were choking or something, your next door neighbor's a nurse. So, you know, but a lot of people don't even know their neighbors anymore. I mean, right. it's just horrible. You I know? don't even know what the closest hospital is. It's where I live. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's we, what we, I that's, mean. That's what I yeah. mean. Yeah, we've gone away from that, that um that sense of uh, community, um, being raised by a village, being raised by when your neighbor told you to do something, it was just like your parents telling you. Right. We, we've definitely gone away from that, but I'm, I really hope people get from this film, um, if I could like sum it up or maybe kind of break it down, it would be, I hope it. You, we can at least get inspiration and understanding, understanding of what these people went through and why they went through what they went through. And what we're trying to do right now is very difficult. So I'm hoping what these doctors and the the long road they took is inspiration enough to see that, yes, what you're going through, it is going to be difficult. It's not going to happen overnight, but it is possible. When I see this story, it shows me of what is possible if you're willing to make the sacrifice. Not talking about it, yes, there's going to be a lot of things that are wrong. It's not going to be fair. Um, and it's going to be harder for you. But knowing that and still being able to go in and succeed, um, that that level of inspiration. And 
even bigger than that, I hope that there are more conversations like this started because we've done quite a few, um, quite a few interviews on the uh, on this film, and honestly, this has probably been my my favorite because oh, thank of you. Yes, really the conversation, and the you. conversation, and your questions, and it's beneficial for us for filmmakers because I'm hearing like the questions you're asking, you dissected the film so much, but. Wow. It, questions and yeah, yeah. I love that because it actually it one enforces what we know and then it also brings it questions within our myself about it well I've never thought about it this way I'm like taking me all the way back to my school and thinking about you know <laughs> how I felt being one of the only students there but but growing uh, understanding twofold why I was put there to excel and getting comfortable getting comfortable being uncomfortable that was why the one film student came to me and touched me so much when they broke down because what they said was I am the only black person in my, all of my classes. I'm not even from here. I don't have too many friends. And this is extremely hard. I'm not doing that well. One of my instructors talked to me and it's all because I'm missing home. But he said, when I saw that and what they went through, I realized not only one, do I have a responsibility, but my struggle is not that bad. I didn't have to say nothing. I got teary-eyed listening wow, to all this. Wow. Thank you guys for, for bringing that. That they inspired one person enough to recorrect his journey and keep doing what he's doing, I don't need to get nothing else from the film but that. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you know, everybody has their own struggles, and mm-hmm. everybody in you should never discount anyone's struggle. You know, it's all yeah. different. But sometimes when you see other people's struggles, it um it definitely reframes what you're uh, going through, and definitely can mm-hmm. pick things out to be like, you know what. If I do this and then this, maybe I can I can get past my stuff because that right. person is still going on with their lives and their exactly. struggle is even harder, you know? Yeah, that, that definitely, think, it, yeah. And I think as a filmmaker, this is exactly what you do. This is why you're a filmmaker and a storyteller. Yeah. Um, a lot of people look at it from the accolades. Oh, I can say I'm a director. I can. No, this is why, because you make film, uh, you do this and you tell stories because of how it affects people. People will never forget this. This will be a part of history forever. Um, Mm -hmm. It will always be out there. So, So to me, this is the epitome of storytelling, being able to put this out there and it's a part of history. I mean, to me, it's the best reward ever. It's far better than a monetary award at all. It's all about getting the story out there. Very true. So what's what's next for both of you? Is there anything that you guys can talk about you're working on? Uh yeah, we're 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 actually we just actually dropped another movie, um, but it's completely different. <laughs> um it's called um excuse me, I'm sorry. It's called uh, Hidden Orchard Mysteries. Yeah. Uh the the uh, uh what is it, the case of the Airbnb robbery. Mm-hmm. And um Brian and I both Brian directed it. And um, he wrote the screenplay, and the story idea was mine. And him and I came together, and we we completely went polar opposite in a sense. But it does kind of have the same um, message yeah. about diversity and everything. But it was such a fun escape to do oh, because, like you said, with everything happening right now, it's a perfect film for parents yeah. to show their kids so that you can have some fun. I grew up on Nancy Drew. Brian grew up on Encyclopedia Brown, and we just said, you know what, let's do something fun. And mm-hmm. and it actually still shows people of color in, in non-traditional roles that you have never really seen them in. 
and and that is you know normally you see nancy drew you know her friend her and i think on the cw right now she's got her minority friends in the background they're always the helpers you know but yeah (laughs) but in ours they are the nancy drews you know that we've got two great actresses black one is black and one is asian and italian she's mixed and the other uh, young lady is african-american and they do an amazing job and we just dropped that film on June uh, 16th, just okay. earlier this week. So both okay. The Color Medicine and um, Hidden Orchard Mysteries, uh, the case of the Airbnb robbery, are both available on DVD, SVOD, all the platforms. And right. um, Brian can talk about what's up Oh, next. I'm just saying, I, I, know our, I know our distributor will kill us if yes, they're so both streaming now on Fandango, Voodoo, iTunes, Google Play, Vimeo, um, they're on your on-demand streaming services. You can find both of those films um, everywhere. But Hidden Orchard Mysteries was something that was very, you know, uh, close to my heart. It was, uh, it was something that we. It's one of those projects that you talk about doing, and then you finally get the opportunity to go and, and do it. And again, being a fan of Encyclopedia Brown, and I love working with kids. And the two kids that we have were just uh, amazing. I mean, you, you you fall in love with, with love with them, and to be able to go tell our version of Nancy Drew. And I honestly, um, we did an interview about the film a couple of days ago, and I really think that that film is very representative of what you see in the streets today. Everybody marching. It's a multicultural a cast. And mm-hmm. it, it's weird because it, there's such a pull when you're uh, an independent filmmaker, especially um, uh, a filmmaker of color, of when you make things, everything that you see has to be representative of, of you and your experience. Well, in my day-to-day experience, I experience all types of people. So I would never go make a film where I'm only going to experience one type of people. It's just, and especially in in this kids film, it just really, I think everything that we're out there together, hand in hand protesting for, this is that view that we're after is what you see in this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This I, I, I want to call it the utopia because it doesn't exist yet, but we're still, <laughs> uh, you know, going. What well, actually does exist? Yeah, the, what we saw, mm-hmm. what we did in this movie, like we 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 kind of joked and laughed about some of the reviews because they would always say, "Oh, they're in this upper class, you know, black community, like it's <laughs> like it's not real or something." And it's like, no, it's very real. This is something that people live in every day. But it just goes to show you how people view us. Like if it's there, not upper class black people, there's. There's nerdy black people. There's, yeah, there's black people are not a monolith. There's there's <laughs> right, right. There's black people of all types me. of like weird, whatever you know. In yeah, we, we're normal people. We we exist in there's in all goths. There's there's all that you know. It's just we're monsters. We can be in outer space. We can be everywhere. You know, but they right. always see us as one entity. But um, Brian and I really had a good time uh, doing this film and. Um, the things that we are looking forward to. Um, the film is uh, going to be an installment. Um, we were going to be doing more than one. We're actually in the process of working on the next installment of the Hidden Orchard Mysteries. And um, we have quite a few other projects uh, lined up as well in different genres, horror, thrillers. We, we, we're just not stopping. We're yeah, just going to keep stop. moving forward, you know? Yeah, Hopefully stop, we'll stop. be on your show again. <laughs> yeah, man, always, man. I- can't stop, won't stop, man. Keep it moving. <laughs> and hopefully we'll also be able to get that docuseries and we'll be able to get back um, yeah. to that until Definitely. some break that down into installments. And, you know, I would love to give people little, maybe I would say seven to 10, 30 minute stories of more different aspects 
of um, Homer G. Phillips, that, like you said, from the patients to the people that work there, yeah. um, to the communities, to the shop owners, because this, it, you can't separate the hospital from the community and the right. community from the hospital because they were all one. And that that's another thing we would really like to, you know, delve into that because once you, and that's another reason why they were made such an effort um, to remove that hospital because once you close the hospital, we don't have to worry about the community. The community is going to collapse. Yeah. And you know, an interesting what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the interesting point, like when Brian was saying about doing the docu series, there were stories. Of course, like we said, they weren't able to be put into the film. There was a gentleman who um, I, I don't recall his name right at the moment, but he was a car salesman who um, actually owned a car dealership. I'm sorry, and he actually was on the staff of the hospital as an administrator, yeah. and his his um, car dealership was so successful, he became the largest African-American dealership in the in the United States. And he actually helped fund uh, Obama's campaign. Oh, okay. um, yeah, and he was out of Chicago. He actually went from St. Louis to Chicago. And um, I would love to include him. We tried to reach out to his family, you know, but we, we, like I said, there's so many stories that would that kind of reflect everything that's happening you know yeah. and if everything that happened at homer g phillips is fect- affecting things today you know and that's one of the docuseries stories i would love to include you know? yeah we and like during that time frame when this was you know this hospital was open like there's other known aspects of just history and culture in st yeah. louis you know whether mm-hmm. it's entertainment the music blues yeah. and all that that when you have like a hospital like that, that's like a, a centerpiece of that community, mm-hmm. you know, because like you said, we, you know, everybody needs healthcare at some point, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it does touch to every other aspect of the um, community and culture and society and entertainment um, that was going on in St. Louis at, during those, those, those decades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's a very rich um, history of St. Louis, like I said, that I learned that I had no I, I, idea about. St. Louis is a very um, iconic um, place, but it's also, it's weird. It's very iconic with its um, music roots and its cultural roots, but the it's also very, um, you can still feel the remnants of segregation there because the fact that those schools weren't desegregated until 1980, I swear I thought that was a typo when I read that. I, that, I, that can't be. That's crazy. But, when you're there and in some of those areas, you can still feel it. Yeah. Yeah, you can still feel it. And then there's, unfortunately, a lot of signage when you're driving around. You definitely see the remnants of a past society that is not too happy about the present. <laughs> yeah, I have to say a, a nice way uh, of saying that if they could go around and throw shackles on people, uh, they would not hesitate in, in, in one second. And I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying... The fact that you go around and you still see like how people talk about I'm not talking about sat statues or things like that, just signs that are still hanging out in front of stores and think murals that are in windows that were never removed. It's because to them, the people that live in that area, those thoughts and those feelings have never been removed from them. Yeah, that was that was like the fuel of the fire of, you know, what happened in Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. because that all still existed. And that's what fueled all that. Yes, yeah. those emotions are still are still there, and it's like something like this just brings up 
a problem that has never been solved. But again, it all starts with having the conversation. People need to get comfortable saying how they feel and why they feel that way. And then the other side needs to get comfortable saying how they feel and why they feel that way. And we either agree or we agree not to agree. And we understand from there, but there's so much, I think conversations had behind people's backs and some people that you thought were on your side when this happens, you realize no, or, like, and oh. they had, don't even have any understanding yeah. of where you're coming from. Oh, so you feel like that? Oh, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> exactly. I mean, friendship <laughs> oh. lost. There, there's been such a divide created by this, but I think the bigger problem is that I think our world was so, it was so sick and so congested that it had to stop itself and make people pay attention. Like, okay, I'm going to stop and y'all mm -hmm. figure this out because this we can't keep going this way. True. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Like COVID nineteen, I mean, as horrible as it is, it actually, like Brian said, has made people stop and examine their entire existence. So exactly. that it shined light on so much <laughs> things that are arbitrary that shouldn't yes. exist. Yeah. So many things that are broken. That some things like you're just sitting there now and you're like, okay, why did this law exist? <laughs> Like we're being like, even to like the, even to some of the like things that you wouldn't think are that bad, like jobs that you can work from home. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, we can work from home actually doing my job, you know? <laughs> when, when they had been talking about doing and, and and you're so right, because before that was like looked down upon, like people are like, no, we can't do that. Now it's going to be the new norm. And and, and, it, it, and it actually provides so many positive things. Yeah. Less pollution in the air. People don't have to spend the money on gas. Yeah. They don't have to put the wear and tear on their car. And they could have done this a long time ago, but for whatever reason, right. they chose not to. It's all, and again, it's being reactionary instead of being proactive did right? you see how many parts of the world like started to just naturally grow like once we like the, like the pandemic really started like i hear yeah. out in la that it went from being smog smog filled right. to being the cleanest <laughs> air in the world yeah. <laughs> beautiful weather that's, that's it, it, is, it is amazing it, no it 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 really it really is i think it's almost as if I don't know if Mother Nature needed to heal herself because exactly. it, it really has made a huge difference. I mean, the fact that you could always look downtown to our skyline and you could just see the level, of, I mean, it's literally gone. see the mm -hmm. level of pollution and soot in the air, that's gone. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, completely gone. So it is one of those things where we needed something to not, what I think the problem before, because again, there's so many people out saying, we've been saying Black Lives Matter, we've been saying all yeah. lives matter, but we've never had a situation where the world can stop. You can't go to work. You can't go to any of your jobs. You can't go see your friends, not pay attention to this. Right. Yeah. Deal with this issue. And you, while you're looking at this issue, guess what? That issue kind of is related to this issue, which is related to this issue. Yep. So you got to deal with this. You can no longer kind of turn a blind eye to it. I was joking with a few friends. I say it's almost like, not, not that I've ever been, but hearing the stories, it's like going to prison. When you go to prison, you got to pick a side. You can't be in prison until I'm neutral. I'm not this. Right, I'm right. Not. It's come to that right now. You have to pick a side. You have to choose because in not choosing, You've made a decision in not doing that also. Yeah. So it, I think that's where we are right now. And it's just so great to see all the communities coming together and doing something. I mean, the fact that Black Lives Matter has teamed up with the LBGT community, come on. It's 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 mm -hmm. 
it's almost like, you know what, if you're going to push a line, push it now and push it as hard as you can ever push it and, and do not stop. Because what happens is these protests go on for a while, the loud voice goes on, and then it eventually calms down and we go back to what we've been doing. There yeah, has no because all these laws that happen affect other people you wouldn't even know. Like, um, yeah. there's, um, like there was this law that was supposed to um, go against uh, sex trafficking. It was called FOSTA-SESTA. And... Mm-hmm. What that did was it hurt sex workers being able to because the main thing was is that like companies like Facebook and companies had a, not even just like online, just companies in general had to um, basically basically police themselves in regards mm-hmm. to sexual content, you know, mm-hmm. to combat sex trafficking. But nobody mm-hmm. wanted to put the the effort and the resources to effectively do that. So what they're doing is banning any sort of sex mm-hmm. content. And what's that's doing is hurting sex workers. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it's hurting education about sex. It's hurting uh, the LGBTQ community. It's going down these lines of not of hurting like all these people when it's not even really combating the thing that it, you're telling it's right, combating right. you know right, right. and that's what happens with these laws like laws that help black folks can also help all these other people who are being discriminated against and right. it all goes it's it's like this domino effect so yeah. to be a part you know to definitely be a part of the black lives matter movement and get laws passed to help them will help everybody else exactly I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. One point real quick is it's so great that you said that because so many times people are, the comment is made that where there's people fighting and then there's these black people over here. These black people's lives matter also. And the way you just stated, no, by making sure their rights are insured, you're solidifying some of your rights also and making sure these things, because if they can take them from us, guarantee they're just working. It's it, eventually some of these same rights that we have, it'll be affecting you that you don't have them. Yeah. Also, like the, they don't. Yeah. Like they say, like uh, in the, what they'll do to the least of us, they'll do to all of us. You know? Exactly. That's, mm-hmm. that's very, that, that's very true. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's what I've been seeing, like on the political, on the social media train, you know, everybody's making comments and I've had friends that I'm, you know, that I know personally, not just on Facebook, everybody's making comments like, you know, uh, why do we have affirmative action and why do we have, you know, and this, and it's like, it's so difficult to explain to people, you know, they keep saying, well, we shouldn't have affirmative action because then that's like, you're, you're trying to only specify this one race. And I, and it's like, I, I just don't really know how to address that. Because, and it's tiring to keep on saying it over and over again, you know, right. and, and they just don't get it and they don't understand. I, I try to explain it. I said, well, with you, you assimilate, you know, you don't, you, you say, well, why are they making a step? You know, why are they have, why do we have to have a law? So for this, and I said, because you, just like if I were talking to you, you know, you can step outside and not have to worry about a cop do, looking at you twice, you know, yeah. but we do, even if you, you're a law abiding citizen, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just that we're, we can't rub this off. You know, this, is I could be a criminal, man. I could have been doing some shit. And yeah, still walk and out they, and look exactly. at and not be, you know, but black mm. folks, they can fit a vague description 
And next thing you know, they have guns drawn on them by the cops, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and no matter what you do, you could be in the store. I mean, because this has happened to me where I could be in the store and I was on the phone talking to Brian, actually. And I'm walking to the store, picking up all my items of cosmetics. And this yeah. guard was following me around. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, I mean, I don't think I look like a criminal, you know, but this is the stuff we deal with on a daily basis. And I don't get why some people don't understand and it's wild to me a lot of the instances when like these you know police brutality or the killings it's like almost like if you put in common sense if they were really being the person that you thought they would be why would they be doing the thing that they're doing at that particular time why would so many why would a you know a black man just be strolling by strolling down right. a main road with right, his earbuds right. on if he just like robbed the bank right, <laughs> exactly. right. Yeah. they don't think about any of that stuff you know and it yeah. is it, it and and the fact that our people have been fighting this for decades and for centuries you know, because I don't know, a century is 100 years, right? Am I yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. four centuries, going on five, 500 years almost that we've been dealing with this, and yet people still sit there like they're perplexed, like they don't get it. Like, I don't like, get I don't it. Like, yeah. I don't get it. I'm, and yeah. I'm like, no, oh, it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's like, we're and we're at this point now where we have the internet, we have Google, and you can literally type up the question that you want to be known and there'll be resources, there'll be mm -hmm. news articles that exp explicitly tell, will answer your question. Exactly. It's more easier than ever to, mm -hmm. to get some firsthand knowledge from black folks about why something is happening. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that, that's very true. And I still think it definitely, the change, it has to happen with breaking down some of the systems because, it, yeah. I, I mean, just like um, a, a black man, I'm sure there are w more horror stories than mine, but I can think back to times where I've had police officers pull guns on me. And the worst experience that I ever had that I constantly keep thinking back to was driving with my brother and being pulled over. And they always tell you, well, police can't pull you over without probable cause. And the police officer came up to the car and said, you know what my probable cause for pulling you over is? Because you a nigga in Torrance. Whoa. So I, whatever, I, I could not. What's your response? To that? And then got back in his car and followed us till we left the city of Torrance. So it's that's what I'm saying. And as much as that pissed me off, when I think back to it, he was taught that. He didn't just come to work that day and start. That system has implemented that. So he is doing what the system he worked for has taught him to do. Word. That's what, it's a systematic problem. And no, I was thinking about this, like thinking about all the all the things, like definitely just even the recent uh, killings. You know what these people were thought to be doing at the time, and then thinking about my own experiences. Mm -hmm. Over ten years ago, I got you know I got pulled over and arrested for a DUI. Mm -hmm. Yo, a DUI is serious, you know. It is. It's very people, serious. People, I could have killed myself. I could have killed other people. I know people who have lost people because of because of that. I was doing something serious. I was doing something irresponsible. And guess what? I got pulled over by a cop who was known in the Detroit PD for being kind of crazy. You know, mm. I think I actually got pulled over for him once before, years before that, for speeding. And and in that time, apparently his um, his uh, partner committed suicide. Mm. So 
he was a little off of his rocker. The, mm-hmm. the whole bar scene in downtown Detroit knew of this guy because he always harassed them at the end of the night. So mm-hmm. I, had fr- I had a couple friends who were Detroit cops and knew of this guy. Never met him, but knew of this guy because of his, his, uh, his, his reputation. But guess mm-hmm. what? When I got pulled over, he did not. He may say some harassing, you know, dickish comments that all cops say. Mm-hmm. But right. no, he, he, didn't, he wasn't physical with me. He put mm-hmm. me into the cop car, you know, just gently. I had a bag with my laptop in it. They mm-hmm. took care of that. <laughs> and pretty much I was taken care of. You know, and I did, and I was doing something that was a lot worse than what than all these you know black folks that are getting killed by police were doing. And I'm sitting there like, I was sitting there recently, and I'm like, holy crap! Like I was doing something that was totally worse and dangerous for the community, and Mm -hmm. I was like treated with kid gloves, you know. And it's wild that that there's such a differential like difference between how someone like yeah. me is treated and then how you know black folks are treated and it's just like right. wow this is this is crazy you know yeah and you, the, the bad story. thing is that's such a i'm sorry that, that's such a great story and you hate to simplify it to something as simple as skin but it's the the differences or from my experience is that because i can see it when i saw that officer pull out his gun what I more saw was his arm trembling and the fear in his eyes that I may do something. It's that, it's and I, I really think it's taught. It's like it's uh, us, uh, him, or you or me. If, if you wait, he's going to get you. It's uh, that you're initially seen as a threat every time you don't have any weapons on you. Or it got to the point like, how many weapons or drugs have you sold today? Like, are right. you kidding? And what's funny about your hard. story is that back, I don't know if they really do it now because Detroit's a you know, there's a lot of white people that go into Detroit, but back in the day when there was a real, you know, I grew up right off of, uh, you know, the famously known Eight Mile. And, oh, okay. okay. And I'm I back. know the, the Eight Mile divide was mm-hmm. heavy when I grew up. Yeah. Like yeah. white people on that side, black people on that side. Yeah. And yeah. there was this just thing over your head that the people on the other side of Eight Mile, you know, the black folks, they, you know, might be bad people, you know, right. from an early age, I knew that was bullshit. I just couldn't feel that, that that was right. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of times in, if, if there was white people driving in the streets of Detroit, they might get pulled over by the cops, but they were told to leave for their safety. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 That's wow. And yeah. That's the kind of stuff like, like when you, yeah. t- when you gentlemen are talking about those stories, it drives me insane. And those kids were probably buying drugs. Exactly. But your judge, I mean, there's no reason that when you look at statistics, like you and Brian may be in the same age group. You both probably have the same educational background, the same mm-hmm. economic background, but yet, and I'm asking you this, Kelly, have you ever, has anyone ever pulled a gun? on you and put it in your face no. in your entire lifetime never never okay not- there you go now the, that's all you need to say is no no and in brian's lifetime he's not in the military he's never served in any wars but yet you've had a gun pulled on you 
I mean, that's not, not, but the weird thing is, and I'm not talking about another, you know, gang member or pe- uh, from the people that are supposed to be protecting the police right. officers. And I've been in I some hoods in Detroit. I've, this I've was been. The only night that I didn't think I was going to make it home. Getting right. pulled over, two police officers. They searched the whole car, didn't find anything. And I'll never forget this, them two talking. And one of the officers, the thing that got me, this was probably, I think I was more scared of this than the NIT um, and the gun. Right. When I saw the officer putting on his black gloves and he was typing and he was clicking them on and asking his other officer, what do you got? What do you want to do with them? Like, we got the whole night free. Whoa. That, Ooh. And the that only was- thing that saved us was on their, um, on their patrol, up on their walkie talkies, a shooting had just happened. So they immediately threw our license back and said, you guys are lucky and got in the car and took off. Wow. And, that, and that must be frightening. We've been talking the car on the way home, just thinking of what that, I, to this day, I don't know how that one could have turned out. It yeah. just, that's it's yeah. crazy to think about, but it wasn't, and again, it wasn't what he said, how he said what he said in his, you saw him getting ready. Like, where are they about to take us and what are they about mm-hmm. to do? But they had the whole night free and having this conversation in front of us very jokingly between this. So what do you want to do with them? And what does it require you putting on your black gloves for? Is that was my wow, question. Wow, that's that's terrifying. Well, and no one should have to, to to deal with that. Nobody, you know. Right. Um, and 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 that's that's the scary thing about all of this. And when these police officers, like Brian was saying, this is just the first tier because even when you looked at Homer G. Phillips Hospital in the beginning where some of the doctors talked about how the patients were being put under water heaters or whatever in the, in the hospital where it was, uh, you know, dripping water and one doctor got electrocuted. And I mean, that's almost the same thing in, in a sense of just, they just discarded our lives. Like we just don't mean anything, but yet we're putting your households to take care of your children. Yeah. Huh? Doing, yeah. There's all these <laughs> things that black folks were, were you know these jobs that like black folks were able were, were right? you know got opportunities to do for white people that you're like okay I can do this but like, but I'm less than human yeah, but like, I can I can feed and and breastfeed your kids and but yet I'm not of any value and of course half of the black population is mixed because your slave owning husband was out there having sex with the black woman yeah because you don't want to and giving birth to these kids i mean there's just ah uh, you know <laughs> yeah i just say i, I would say, know where to put it, it it can really just boggle your mind to the point where you get so frustrated you do nothing. And I think that's part of what the system does. The system is bigger than your individual problem. Therefore, the system wins. But it's great to see the, I think, the the energy in the young people that are out. And yeah. at first, when I was seeing some of these protests, again, I'm glad when they, they the fact that they're peaceful because when they were violent um, and they were turning into riots and it wasn't the people protesting, I didn't think that's not an avenue you have your kid out there. Yeah. But yeah. it's so great to see the protesting going on now. And I honestly say I love seeing white families and black families with their mm-hmm. kids out there because racism is something that is taught. You don't grow up knowing that. Right. So seeing the lines of where it's going, to, it, it's being broken and the fact that they are trying to pass this down onto their youth, it definitely is. It's, it's a long fight. It's definitely going to be a long fight. But I think it's now crossed over into a generation that is willing to take those long strides because 
you have a younger crowd doing it and they're continually passing it down into a, a even generation younger than them. And that's what it, it needs to be to the point where the racism is so called out. It has, you can't do anything but deal with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We're getting to that point where we know all the problems. Now we just need to deal with them, not to the point where now there may be a problem over here, but if nobody says anything about it, we just won't look over there. We, we've done that long. That's why we're here because if you we always address a problem, but if you don't deal with it, it's always going to bring itself back up. That's we've never dealt with it. We've addressed it, but we've never dealt with it. And I think we've gotten to the point now where we're slowly starting to deal with it. But again, it's going to be yeah. baby steps. And as long as they're baby steps forward and not backward, I'm OK with that. Definitely. Yeah. And with people putting their foot on somebody's neck, these people need to keep their foot on society's neck until something changes. It's Definitely. Like, don't stop, like, pass the <laughs> baton. And, like, and because we were saying that when these people go back to work, because when people get the chance to start going back to work and everything, that's what I think society is waiting on. The racist society is for, oh, it'll die down. Let the black people get out there and whatever. And but no, I want people to continue. Not necessarily, I don't want them to riot or anything, but I definitely want people to continue to protest. And right. I mean, you know what? Even if you can only go out there on the weekends, just keep doing it. Or even standing up for yourself more at your job. Exactly. You know, Wherever you can exactly. stand up. That's where yeah. you should do it. Yeah. Make a that's, difference. That's very, that's very true. That's very true. Mm-hmm. All right. It's been great talking with both of you. Very powerful interview. Like, Thanks. thank you for coming on and having this very open discussion about the color mm-hmm. of medicine and everything that it's sort of, you know, everything involved into it, man. It's been great talking with both of you. Where can um, people go? You already plugged, uh, you know, both your uh, projects, but where can people go online to, you know, get more information about those projects and to follow both of you? Uh, well, the Color Medicine, um, they both have websites. Uh, the Color Medicine's website is done really well. You can find out as much information as you want about the film. Yeah. It's at www.thecolorofmedicine.com. That's all you have to put in. All is one long word, yeah. and it'll pop up, and it has everything. It'll even tell you where um, the film is available, and it's available on all formats. And mm-hmm. as far as the um, – and we, we have all social media handles. So when you go to the website, you can click on all the social media handles, Facebook, Instagram, nice. Twitter. They're all there. The same with Hidden Orchard Mysteries. That website is www.hiddenorchardmysteries uh, with an S, movie.com. So Hidden Orchard Mysteries movie.com. And all of the, and that's the, uh, the handles are all on that website as well. So just, if, but if they just Google Hidden Orchard Mysteries, the case of the Airbnb robbery, it'll all come up. So that's where everybody can find out information. And they're on all streaming formats. Both films are out right now on all streaming formats um, that Brian had mentioned. iTunes, what, Voodoo, Fandango, Vimeo, Google Play. Uh, what else, Brian? Amazon um, Prime, Amazon. Yeah, on Instant. your local cable provider on on-demand, yeah. Xfinity mm-hmm. Comcast, whatever your local cable provider is, it's on your um, on-demand system through mm-hmm. that okay. as well. And I think give out your personal. Um, oh yeah, we our our um, and I, you can look me up under Fitzpatrick Joyce and on Facebook I'm Joyce Marie Fitzpatrick. But my production company is Flat Cat, and then there's a hyphen productions.com, and that website is up so people can learn a little bit more about me. And mm-hmm. if you go on IMDb Internet Movie Database you can see all of the the shows that I used to work on. So those are my handles. Cool. Right. 
Um, you can find me, all of my handles are at Picasso72, which is P-I-X-A-S-S-O 72. And my website will be tunnelvisionfilms.com. It's very simple. And if you can't find me through any of that, you can always type in Brian C. Shackleford in Google and it will point you to me because there's a few Brian Shackleford's out there, but there's only one Brian C. Shackleford. <laughs> that's me. So if you type that in, you must be trying to find me. So that's what you're yeah. gonna find. But man, I like I said, Kelly, I can't thank you enough, man, for yeah, uh, your, your conversation, interview. man, and, and and just the the format of of this conversation. It's it's so greatly uh, appreciated, and your knowledge of the film, man, that that yeah. I, I'm I'm, I'm beyond <laughs> impressed. And thank you for helping us get the word out and starting the conversation. Yeah. And this is this is a great conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I I had a great time talking with both of you. Thank you for listening to the Fresh of the Word podcast, hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash Fresh of the Word. Fresh of the Word theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com, and that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Fresh of the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh of the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash Fresh of the Word. Follow Fresh of the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh of the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh of the Word. For more information about Fresh of the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit freshofthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.